We're gonna be talking about faith, and I wanna start out with faith. I think that in the church, and even in the world's concept about what we believe, that there are more misconceptions about, misunderstandings, and misappropriations of faith than ever before. I think this is the most misunderstood, misappropriated, misappropriated concept, idea, or aspect of Christianity. When I was um, a young girl, I had a friend named Lisa, and she went to this Bible study, and this woman um, said to my friend, who was legally blind by law, Lisa, by faith, I want you to break your glasses and never put them on again because the Lord wants to heal you. And Lisa was doubtful. She'd only been a Christian for about two years. Her, her parents went to a more orthodox church and were kind of um, um, suspicious of Calvary Chapel. We used to be kind of a wild church, and people had a lot of suspicions about us. You know, you come into the sanctuary and you're like, oh no, this is substantial. Well, at one time we were considered a little wild. Rock and roll concerts, guitars, those kind of things. So the woman took her glasses off of her, put them on the ground and stomped on them and prayed for my friend. And my friend was not healed. And she had to go back to her house and explain the broken glasses to her parents. Now, the lady who was conducting this prayer meeting said to my friend, you don't have enough faith. If you had just had enough faith, you'd be able to see right now. This is your fault, not my fault. That, my friends, is a misconception, a misunderstanding, and a misappropriation of faith. The misconceptions about faith include thinking that faith is gullibility or the ability to believe. You know, some people have an easier time believing certain things than other people. My mom used to say that she had the gift of suspicion. And I believe that's true because I think it was in her DNA. And I think I got that gene. And I think and I know that my daughters and my sons got that gene like exponentially. It is not the ability to believe. You know, I remember having questions and there would be some people that would say, just believe, just believe. And it's not a gift or an eight talent to believe. That I, I, just, I just believe. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but I just have this gift of believing like I have a gift of singing, which I don't. But if I did. But it's not a gifting. It's not magic. Some people treat faith like magic, like it's a power that you harness. And if I just have that faith, if I just harness this power, then I can move mountains, uproot trees, and be healed and pronounce healings. If I just believe enough or harness this power. Some people believe that it's believing that good things are going to happen. Oh, I just believe good things are going to happen. The world is getting better and better and better. I just believe in good things. Some people think that it's having all positive thoughts 
or only speaking positive words. I don't want to hear a negative word. I only want to hear positive. You know, don't, don't, oh, that was a negative word. You know, wash it off. Get it off of me. It's not about all positive words or positive thinking or positive thoughts. Some people think it's a totally optimistic outlook on life and the future. Like, I know we had a car wreck, but this might mean that insurance will be involved and maybe we'll get a better car. It's not looking at every scenario and seeing, you know, the, the rainbow or the sun shining on the other side of the cloud. And it is not, it is not refusing to ask the hard questions. It is not a refusal to ask the hard questions about God or the hard questions about the Bible. And it's not about, this is like a double negative. How do I say this? It's not about being absent of doubts. In fact, I believe that faith is being able to have a doubt knowing that the answer is forthcoming. Faith is the ability to ask why and know that there's an answer. I'm not afraid to ask why. I'm not afraid to have a doubt because, anyway, that's not in my notes, so forget that. Moving on. Faith is misunderstood. There are some people that think, if I only believe long enough, I, I just keep believing long enough or hard enough, I can make something happen. Like I can conjure it up if I just, I'm just not believing hard enough. I just got to repeat it to myself. Some people think it's a methodology that you follow. If I just do these steps, steps to faith. It is not faith in faith. Because faith in a lie is never going to produce. And I've said this before, but it doesn't matter how hard you believe in Santa Claus, nobody is coming down your chimney. It's not about believing and believing. There are some people that think if you have a doubt or a question, you lack faith or have spoiled your chances of faith. Oh no, you had a doubt, there it goes. Now it's never going to happen because you had a doubt. Oh well, sorry. Or they believe if you have a doubt, if you have a question, you'll never be able to move forward in faith. Faith is strong enough to ask the question, why? Faith should be strong enough in its substance to handle questions and deal with perplexity. The misappropriation of faith. Some people try to use faith to get their will or their wants to come into reality. That's not the purpose of faith. It's not what faith is about, and that's not how we apply faith. Some people think that if they have enough faith in faith, they can heal anyone, get rid of all trials, or be exempt from all trials, call down fire from heaven, or get rich. Drive a Rolls Royce. They also conclude that people who are impoverished or sick or going through hard times are there because they don't have enough faith. Not true. 
James tells us in his epistle, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? These are wrong ideas about faith, but what is the right concept of faith? Because we know that faith is essential. In Hebrews chapter four, the author showed us that it was a lack of faith that kept the Jews from ever entering into the promises of God, that they never fully entered them. They never were able to rest in them. They had some of the promises partially fulfilled, but there was always this insecurity in the promises of God. Why? Because they lacked faith. In Hebrews 6.12, we're told that it's through faith we inherit all of God's promises, that we come into the fullness of God's promise. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it's by faith we draw near to God. This is the venue to get close to God. In Hebrews 10, verse 38, we're told that the just live by faith or the righteous live by faith. Faith is an imperative. We must have it, but as believers, we need to understand We need to be able to define it, to explain it, to tell people what it is. 10 years ago or so, I was doing a Bible study on faith. And a woman I had known for over um, 20 years, she had been in the ministry. She said to my mom after I did the Bible study, she said, you know what? I grew up in the church. I've served alongside of you in ministry, but... Until today, I never knew what faith was. I never had it defined to me. I did, a, I did a class at the Bible College, and I love this class. It was called Anything You Want to Know About Christianity But You Were Afraid to Ask. And I had all the students who came. I said, I want you to submit any questions, any words you don't understand, But because you're at Bible college, everyone expects you to know these things, but you really don't know them. You know, I got words like faith. I got a lot of faith. Faith, faith. What is faith? What does it mean by faith? How do I practice faith? I also got like redemption, sanctification, salvation. You know, sometimes we don't ask. We don't define. And so our understanding never grows. We need to know what faith is. There are answers to all our questions in the Lord. Without faith, salvation is impossible. Without faith, the promises of God are unreachable. Without faith, we cannot draw near to God. Without faith, we cannot have the righteousness that God requires. Without faith, we cannot please or appease God. Hebrews eleven six says, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we need to know what faith is. What is this essential quality, this essential aspect? We know what it's not, but what is faith? These Hebrew believers, having learned that faith was essential because neither the law 
nor the priests, nor the tabernacle or temple or the sacrifices or the rituals could bring them into relationship with God needed faith. They realized that the law, the priests, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the rituals, the old covenant could not make them righteous, could not give them a right standing with God, could not secure them in the promises God intended for their lives, could not give them security in their salvation, could not forgive their sins, could not cleanse their hearts and consciences. They knew they needed this essential quality of faith. They didn't need to know what it was and whether or not they truly had it. So the author begins chapter 11 with legal terms. These are legal terms. And in Hebrews 11.1, 1, he says, now faith is. What is faith? Here it is. This is what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a little girl and this was given to me in Sunday school, when I'd go, what is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. To me, that was like, so it's a dream. What is it? But he uses words, substance and evidence. And these are terms that would have been used in a court of law when a lawyer is proving his case. Substance is the bulk of the argument. It's the base or the foundation and the sum total of the argument. It's what he, uh, a lawyer will often tell the jury, this is what I'm going to prove to you. And I'm going to use evidence to prove the reality of what I said actually happened and is the truth. He uses the word evidence, allegos which means proof or proofs. It would include eyewitness testimony. It would include obvious indications or markers of the truth, the substance of the case. It would include articles of support. You know how I loved Perry Mason. May I bring into evidence article number one? You know, and then um, I'd like to submit this into evidence. And what is evidence? It's the proofs that are building the veracity of the case. They are not making the truth happen. They are proving that that the truth is truth, right? They're giving foundation to the case. They are bringing revelation to what the truth is. They are not showing what didn't happen, but what did happen. Faith is both a noun and a verb. As a noun, it is the substance of what we believe about God. He uses the word hope for, but when the Bible uses the word hoped, hope or hoped, it's not like, I wish it would happen. It is our sure and certain expectation. For instance, I don't hope necessarily that my birthday will be in April because it will be. It happens every year. I used to love it. Now it's like, oh no, 
It's coming. It's taking me closer to the end. But my birthday is certain. So I have an expectation that my birthday's coming. I do not have an expectation that Brian will get me a present, but I have an expectation of my birthday. Brian says this on my birthday. So what did I get you? And I I usually say, you were extra generous this year. But faith, as far as substance as a noun, it is the sum total of what we believe. Therefore, our faith is here in the word of God because the word of God tells us what the substance of our faith is, what the argument of our faith is. Because the word of God tells us what God is like, what God has done, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what sin is or the problem of mankind, and how man can be saved. And it tells us what the future holds. So faith is the handbook. It's the substance of our faith. It's the Bible. It's the foundation of all we believe. And one of the reasons we chose this graphic, I don't know how many of you have been to Yosemite, but, but here is this granite rock that cannot be moved. In fact, it says that years ago, somehow it split and, you know, half dome. And so you just got half of the dome. Whatever happened to the other half, no one's sure. But here's half the dome. But it's so substantial, it's granite. I mean, you try to move that thing. It, it can't be moved. It's there. And your faith is strong. It's substantial. It's rock solid. The word of God is true and it is proven. But faith is also a verb. The Greek word for faith is the word pestis. That's how it's pronounced, pestis. It is the substance of what we believe, but it is also the conviction and investment in what we believe. It is the believing and the action that accompanies true belief because we act on what we believe. Someone told me that kale is good for me. I believe them. So I started eating kale, putting it in shakes, salads. If we believe the weather report, that there will be rain, we do what? We carry an umbrella. We prepare for rain, don't we? Because we believe the weatherman. We believe the report. So we act according to what we believe. In Hebrews 11, the author offers evidence of faith. And he shows the evidence of faith in the lives of ordinary people. He shows the reality of faith. Here is what it looks like. Here is the proof. And the proof of faith is the way it transforms ordinary people. Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith, or it's the red carpet of the faith Grammys, or the faith Oscars, whatever you prefer. On this red carpet, 
are ordinary women and men who simply believed the word of God, the substance of faith, and acted on it. I've just been reading Jeremiah. I just finished Jeremiah, but in chapters 36 and 44, you have these individuals who even though Jeremiah was giving them the word of the Lord, these people chose to believe lies over the word of God. They chose to believe delusions of false prophets over the word of God. They chose to believe their fears above the word of God. They come to Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, look, the Babylonians, we see that everything you said came true. Everything you said about Babylon destroying Jerusalem and taking the majority of Israel as captive to Babylon, we see that it all came true. But now, the circumstances have happened and Gedaliah, who Nebuchadnezzar put over the exiles who were, I'm sorry, put over those who were left in Jerusalem, the poor people, he was murdered. And now we're afraid that Nebuchadnezzar is gonna come back and kill us. So we're thinking about going to Egypt. Will you get a word for us from the Lord and tell us what we should do? And Jeremiah said, yes. So Jeremiah goes away for 10 days. He prays, he comes back to them and he says, don't go to Egypt, stay here. Nebuchadnezzar will show us favor, but we must not go to Egypt. And they said, uh, thank you, but we're totally afraid and we're too scared to stay. So we're gonna go to Egypt. And Jeremiah said, you are listening to your fears above the word of God. We do that, don't we? We listen sometimes to our fears above the word of God. God's word is truth. And God's word speaks to us about the way of salvation. We must act on its directives. And what we see in this list as we go through Hebrews uh, chapter 11, starting today, not next week because there is no Bible study next week, but the week after and the week after that, as we continue through Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see that the notables of Hebrews 11 are not necessarily the names and people you would expect. It is not a list of priests. Rather, it is commoners, and among them are shepherds and fathers, a wife who became a mother, construction workers, sons, a murderer, a prostitute, see, it's going to get really dicey, a farmer, a captain, boys who became men, and unnamed heroes and heroines who experienced and endured the extraordinary. The evidence of faith is the extraordinary way Simple trust and adherence in God's word works itself out in our lives. That's where the evidence is. So faith is, now faith is this, this quality that we need. It's the substance of things hoped for, the sum total of all that we know to be true of things hoped for. Faith is the expectation of everything we believe in God's word. It is all the promises, all the principles, all the propositions, all the stories, all the people, and all the postulates and proverbs given to us in God's word. 
It is believing God's word above our circumstances, above our fears, above the misinformation given to us. Faith is also the evidence of things not seen. It is the invisible reality of the truth. The evidence of faith is seen in the lives of ordinary people. Faith can be seen or evidenced in people's lives. Evidence number one, I want to submit to you the jury evidence number one for faith. And it is the good testimony of the elders, the good testimony that the elders achieved. How did the elders, those men and women in the Bible that are held up to us as examples, how did they get this good testimony? How did they offer the right sacrifice? How did they live such perfect lives? How did they do it? They didn't do it by going to the tabernacle or the temple. They didn't do it by living according to the law. They didn't do it by sacrifices or by rituals. Many of those mentioned came even before the law and the sacrifices or the rituals were instituted. And others in this chapter in Hebrews lived at a time or under conditions that made the tabernacle off limits or when the temple was destroyed, like Daniel. It was faith and faith alone that gave them an outstanding story to tell. It was because they believed God, who he said he was. They believed that God would do what he said he would and that he had done all he said he would. And as they believed, they lived in accordance to what they knew to be true of God. That was the reason that they had an outstanding testimony. They aligned their lives with God's word. And in aligning their lives with God's word, their lives became extraordinary and gave them a great testimony a testimony of faith, an extraordinary testimony. Evidence number two, divine understanding. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The understanding you possess by believing what the Bible says about creation, how the worlds, the whole cosmos was made, is an evidence of faith. We don't believe that there was a big bang and order came from chaos. We believe that order was given to chaos by the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first point of faith. If you believe in the beginning, God then you have stepped into the realm of faith. I love Acts 26, 8, where Paul is giving his defense before Herod. And he gets to the resurrection of the dead. And I think Herod must have like been like, oh, no. Because Herod was related to the Sadducees, and the Sadducees didn't believe in any resurrection at all. And when Paul asserted that Jesus was the Messiah and he was risen from the dead, 
Herod must have given him a look because Paul said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God should raise the dead? We're dealing with God. Now, if we were dealing with a person, like why should it seem impossible to you that Brad Pitt could raise the dead? Well, he, he can't. I don't care how good looking anyone is. You can't raise the dead. Men can't raise men. But when you're dealing with God, who spoke the world into existence, who breathed life into the first man and woman, then nothing is impossible. God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, nothing is too hard for me. Nothing is too hard for me. Evidence, the world is made of invisible particles. This was not understood until the 1900s. In 1800s, it was postulated, but in the 1900s, and especially 1936, through an electron microscope, which had an accelerated beam of light, scientists were able to, for the first time, glimpse atoms and begin to realize that everything that is seen is made from these itsy bitsy tiny particles called atoms. But how long ago did God say that? How long ago did the Bible tell us? The evidence of faith is the understanding. It's, it's this divine unction. You know, we see the world and we think, don't they understand as they're sinning, as they're, uh, you know, drinking too much, as they think that pot should be legal? You're just like, pot should be legal? Are you kidding me? Sorry, but are you kidding me? I mean, all the, all the things that they're discovering about uh, what it does, how it messes up with the brain chemistry, and so many other um, findings of studies, and yet we're going to legalize it anyway because we just want to numb ourselves to life. And I think about how we have an understanding that, that gives us almost like common sense, doesn't it? it you kind of look at that and go, that's not going to work out for you. It's not going to work out for you. Years ago, and I mean years ago, before I was ever born or even thought of by anyone but God, my parents lived in Prescott, Arizona. And there was a little church that my dad was the pastor of, a little four-square church in, in Prescott. And just up the hill was this huge boulder. Just, and my dad thought, you know, if that boulder wasn't there, you could look out the windows and you'd have such a gorgeous view. I'm just going to roll this six foot by five foot boulder away from the church. My mother walked out. She was about eight months pregnant with my sister. And she said, Chuck, what in the world are you doing? He said, okay, I've got this all figured out. Don't worry about it. Do you see that wood? Do you see these pulleys? I'm going to move these and the rock is going to roll away from the church. And we're going to have a beautiful view. 
Well, my mom was a woman of faith. And she said, she had understanding. She said, Chuck, that rock's not going to roll that way. It's going to roll right into the church, knock the wall down and take a couple pews with it. And my dad said, that's what you think. Observe your husband. Because they hadn't been married that long, maybe, maybe 10 months. Watch this. And he began to work on the levee that he created. And sure enough, my mom said the rock began to jiggle. It began to roll the other way and start to move. And it kind of turned on its side. And then she said with a ferocious force, it turned the other way. And with the momentum began to roll. And she said all that she and my father could do was just watch this rock go down the hill, through the wall of the church, dismantling three pews and coming to rest right in front of the wood-burning stove. And she said they ran down there and she said you couldn't even see through the thick cloud of dust. And she's like, oh, Chuck, what have you done? He said, I don't know, but I've got a sermon to prepare. Let's leave this till tomorrow. It was Saturday. Sunday morning, about five o'clock in the morning, they got a call from the caretaker of the church. Chuck, you're not going to believe what happened. You know that rock which was on the hill next to the church? It just rolled through the, through the wall of the church. My dad said, yes, I, I know. He said, we're lucky it didn't knock out the wood-burning stove. My dad said, yes, I know. And he said, how do you know? He said, uh, well, actually, I did it. You did it, Chuck? Why? Well, let me just say that Kay's the one with the understanding. <laughs> By faith, we understand. Faith gives us understanding. That's an evidence of faith. It's an evidence of faith. Evidence number three. We see it in Abel's sacrifice. Abel being a son of Adam, brother of Cain, one of the first men to be born after the fall. He offered to God what God wanted. God wanted a lamb, and it was a more excellent sacrifice. Here is the evidence of Abel's faith. The evidence is that he knew internally, in his heart, what God wanted. And because he knew what God wanted, he desired to give God what he wanted. The faith that was already in him was revealed or seen when he gave God what God wanted. That's when it was like, oh, Abel has faith because he gives God what he wants. You see, there are a lot of people like Cain who know God. They, they even believe in his reality, but they don't serve God. They, they might believe, we're told that even the demons believe and tremble at the name of Jesus but they don't serve Jesus. They don't trust and entrust to Jesus. They don't have faith. 
you see, faith goes beyond just knowing he exists. Faith believes he's a rewarder of those that diligently serve him. They believe, faith believes his word is true and acts on his word and in accordance with the word. This is the evidence that Abel had faith because he gave God. He knew what God wanted and he gave that to God. G.D. Watson said this, and I don't know who he is. I just like what he said. Our limitless trust in God seems to satisfy God as nothing else can do because it corresponds with God's eternal faithfulness. It honors God's veracity and it is a constant silent worship of all of God's perfections. God wants our faith, our genuine trust and belief in him. And when we have faith, we will give God what he wants. What does he want? When in John chapter six, when they came to Jesus and they said, what can we do to do the will of God? He said, this is the will of God that you believe in him whom the father has sent. This is the will of God. This is faith to believe in Jesus. This pleases God more than anything else is when you believe in Jesus and you trust and entrust to Jesus because you believe in him. Cain wanted to offer God what he wanted to offer God. There are people that say, I'll give God, I'll give God money, but let him stay out of my, my sexual appetite. I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, but I'll give God any money. I'll, I'll tithe to the church. I just don't want to live in accordance with the word of God. Or, you know, I'll give God Sunday mornings as long as I can live Monday through Saturday any old way I want. That's not giving God what he wants. Faith says, I want to give God what God wants. I had a friend who two years in a row gave me the same present. It was large, it was ugly, and it didn't match one item in my home. In fact, I had just gotten rid of the first present when she gave me the exact same present again. And I just looked at it, and she didn't realize she'd given it to me before. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to call her friend anymore. Because showed how little she knew about me and how little she listened to me and how little she observed my life and how little she cared about what I liked and didn't like. It was, you know, I hate to say this, but it was insulting. It was a little bit insulting. You know, I'm up at up just like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, you know, this is the second one you've given me of this. No, no, yes, yes. I didn't tell her what I did with the first one, but I did the same thing with the second one. Abel, by faith, gave God exactly what he wanted because he knew God, he studied God, he loved God. Because he gave God what he wanted, he obtained the witness that he was righteous. He proved that he had faith. Because 
as we believe God, even as Abraham believed God, it is counted to us for righteousness. His righteousness was evidence that he had faith. His example still speaks to us after thousands and thousands of years and reminds us that faith knows what God wants and gives God what he wants. Evidence number four, Enoch's translation. It's so funny because um, as Angie was reading, she said Enoch was taken. And my Bible says translated. And I'll tell you why my Bible says translated. This is the first New King James open Bible that was made. And they gave my mother one. And for a time, they stopped making the New King James open Bible. And mine, as I was teaching Revelation, Revelation fell out. I scotch taped it in, but then the Gospel of John fell out and it just became too much to handle. So I was over at my parents' house and my mom has a collection of Bibles. And, um, you know, because of her dementia, I knew that um, she was not aware of the treasury that she had. And so I went through and sure enough, I found a, a, a New King James open Bible from the first year that it was uh, produced. So I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I really need this Bible. They don't make it anymore. This is my favorite Bible. Can I have this Bible? And he said, yes, but don't tell your mother. Just take it. Because my dad was always trying to clear out. Just take it. And I was like, oh, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I was one of those people who could never lie to my mother. So I, I went in there and I said, mom, you've got the Bible that I want. I really need this Bible. She said, okay, I'll tell you what. You can borrow it till I die. And then it will be yours. So I'm still borrowing my mother's Bible. She's 91 years old. Technically, it still belongs to her. But it's interesting because mine has words that are different than what the New King James has, like taken. It's translated. So in my notes, I've got Enoch was translated. But this is what it's saying. It says that Enoch never died. Here's the evidence of Enoch's faith. He never died. He went to heaven. Not much is known about Enoch. There's only three verses. We know he had a godly son at 60 years old. We know he had other children after that. We know he walked with God and he lived 365 years and then went missing because God took him and he added testimony that he walked with God and he pleased God. Because it's faith that pleases God and only faith that can please or appease God. There is no other way to bless God, to appease God, but to believe that he is and that he has done all that he says he's done in his word. But the promise or the evidence of faith is that death is transformed for us into a porthole to the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. He talks about earlier in Hebrews in chapter 2, remember how he said that the devil used death 
to put everyone under subjugation and in fear. But Jesus destroyed the power of death. And in thus doing, he disarmed Satan. That was the evidence of his faith that God took him to heaven. That's the evidence that he had faith. Evidence number five, salvation. Noah was divinely warned about something he had never seen before, and he acted on the warning. He acted on God's word to him. He did what God told him to do. If Noah had not listened to God, he wouldn't have known how to prepare for what he didn't know was coming. I don't know if that sentence confuses you, but it confuses me, even as I wrote it and read it. And he was moved with godly fear. In other words, you cannot plan for a flood if you are expecting a fire. And you cannot prepare for a fire if you're expecting a flood. You have to know what's coming. And the only one who knows the future is God. And his Bible, this Bible, his word that he's given us prepares us for whatever's coming. It is our preparation. And the evidence The evidence of Noah's faith was his salvation. He was saved, everyone else on the earth, but Noah and his sons, daughter-in-laws and wife were condemned. His salvation was clearly seen because the rest of the world perished under condemnation. And he became an heir of righteousness or was among the righteous who were saved, all because of faith. Now, these same evidences, these same evidences, are yours today. As you believe in the substance of faith, the word of God, the evidence in your life is first a good testimony, a good testimony. In Colossians 1 verse 4, Paul spoke of the Colossians. Now, Paul had never met the Colossians, the believers there in Colossae. He did not start that church But he says in the first three verses, he says, I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for the saints and the fruitfulness of your lives. See, the genuineness of the Colossians' faith was seen in their love for all the saints and the fruit of their lives. Faith has evidence and will bear evidence in your life. The more you adhere to and trust and invest in the word of God, invest your life, invest your time, it will produce a testimony of love for all the saints. The marker of true spirituality is love. It's the ultimate marker. And the fruit of the spirit, the qualities of Jesus will come forth from our life Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. This is evidence. This is the evidence of faith. This is the good testimony. Amen. This is the good testimony. The evidence of faith in your life is a deeper understanding about the world. And this deeper understanding comes 
as we believe in the beginning, God. The whole reason for the world is God. This shapes how you think about everything. It shapes your perspective. You see, you perceive, you grasp what those without faith cannot. Thirdly, the evidence of your faith is a desire to give God what he wants. Not your self-righteousness, your goodness, your good behavior. It's not what he wants. Not your good works, not your tithe, even though we appreciate it. Not your tithe, but God wants your heart, your trust, and your obedience. The evidence of your faith is the eternal life that now lives in you. You will not see death. Death, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have faith, becomes a portal to heaven, to glory, to being in the very presence of God. I, my mom told me about a woman she had who was a speaker at one of the retreats. And this woman happened to be present as her godly grandma was going into heaven. And the grandma had her eyes closed. And all of a sudden, they thought she died. And she opened her eyes wide. And she looked at all her children and grandchildren. And she said, believe it. Because it's all true. It's all true. And closed her eyes and died. Same thing, D.L. Moody. As he was dying, he opened his eyes and he said, oh, oh, it's all glorious. It's all glorious. Earth is receding and heaven is opening. Death is a porthole. It's just a portal that we go through and enter into glory As Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. You will pass through death like passing through a river. You will pass through death as if passing through a fire, but you will pass through, not remain in. It is walking with God now and taking the next steps into heaven, a continual walk. Um, I don't know how many of you um, ever saw the movie A Man Called Peter. It's like one of my favorite, favorite movies. It's about the life of Peter Marshall. But at one point, Peter Marshall, he's a pastor. He was um, Scottish. And he gets this call that this young boy is dying. And he goes into the room. And the boy says to him, you know, oh, Pastor Marshall, Pastor Marshall, what, what is death? What should I expect? And he says, well, this is what it's like. He said, you know how sometimes you'll fall asleep in your clothes, but you're on the couch, but you wake up in your own bed and you're in your pajamas and you're all cozy and warm. And he said, yes. He said, uh, hey, that's what death will be like for you. He said, you'll go to sleep in the clothes of this earth. 
but you'll wake up in the most comfortable, blessed clothes of heaven, all cozy in your own bed where you belong. And when he had his heart attack, Peter Marshall and his wife, Catherine, saw him as the attendees, attendees were taking him out to the ambulance. He looked at her and he says, I'll be seeing ya in the morning. That's how the movie ends. You're like, ah, so good. So good. The evidence of faith is that death has lost its sting. It's lost the threat. It's lost the power to harm. It can only transfer you. Finally, the evidence of faith is your salvation from the condemnation that is in the world. You are saved. John 3, verses 17 through 19, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, who does not have faith, is condemned already because he has not had faith in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Before we can go on further to talk about the power of faith, it is absolutely essential that we know what faith is. Faith is the substance of what we believe. It is God's word that bears evidence in our lives as we receive it, we believe it, we trust it, we invest in it, and we act on it. Faith does not become our own and is not activated until we choose God's word above our fears, above the lies, above the delusions. We trust it to the point of obedience above every other word, and we invest our lives, our energy, our thoughts, and our heart in God's word. We put it all in God's word. When we receive, believe, trust, invest, and act on this substance, it transforms our ordinary lives into extraordinary lives. We move beyond human limitations into the realm of God's divine work in us and through us. And faith becomes the great legacy we can leave to our children and the next generation. Friends, sisters, we've only just begun to recognize the great value that we have through our faith in Jesus Christ. Will you stand up? What is the sound of one hand clapping? Just kidding. I didn't mean that. Oh, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, that we would realize that we got it. We've got the substance. We've got your word. We've got your truth. Lord, we just need to invest in it that the evidence of this truth might be seen from our lives, that our testimony might be that of a God who saves, 
a God who is blessed by our simple belief in a God who works in us extraordinary things just as we trust and listen and follow his blueprints. Oh God, continue to work in us that we might believe, that we might invest, that we might trust, that we might align our lives with your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name.